the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead. I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. So in addition to my JD, I'm also a master of the laws of taxation law and a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. Now, both of these great degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, located in the always beautiful streets of downtown San Francisco. Now, because of my training, my experiences, and most importantly, my lifelong interest, I primarily practice bankruptcy debt wealth management, estates and trust, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And I'm proud to say that as part of my practice, I sometimes have an opportunity to seek out and at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the victims of the various forms of pernicious financial elder abuse that can quite simply wipe out a life's worth of income in a matter of moments. So I'm coming to you again today in lockdown from my makeshift studios in my home in the always beautiful Oakland, California. And I come to you to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again preface my remarks by stating that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the information, uh, that is to say, the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help. Again, I do this because it's my firm belief that representing yourself in a legal matter, especially one dealing with your finances, is like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. That means that if you're lucky and you catch your uh, adversary napping, you might be able to sneak up on her real close and scratch her on the arm or maybe even poke her in the eye or in the ear. But more than likely, because Everyone else in the courtroom dealing with your matter will either be a lawyer or represented by one. As such, your standing there with your little butter knife, even if you sharpened it, will likely mean that you are dead on arrival. And I'm not talking about you as a mortal, 
but I'm talking about your valid claims or your righteous defenses will likely see the promised land way before you do. So, as such, the purpose of Selwyn's Law is to discuss the law related to your money. And unfortunately, in these days and times, more probably than not, the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect your and or your families and or your businesses, financial health, wealth and money related well-being, as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening form. So as I began a few weeks ago, because of all of the machinations that are going on in the outside world related to the COVID pandemic and its negative impact on the economy and the negative impact on the economy having on individuals' ability to maintain their employment or their businesses, many believe that we're in the wake of an oncoming, the next wave of a tsunami that's going to wipe out many. And we need to take this period, in my opinion, to consider the fact that we might have to file for bankruptcy. So I'm going to continue our discussion on Bankruptcy 101. So before the 4th of July holiday, I discussed, that is to say, I attempted to define bankruptcy and explain why bankruptcy is important and so necessary to our capitalistic market-based economy. And you can find my uh, June 20th and June 27th podcasts at this station for those preliminary discussions on this matter. So this week, um, my goal is to provide you with a list, or that is to say start to give you a list and explain the key players in the bankruptcy process and give you an overview of their functions. And if we have the time, I'll go into some high-level overview of the bankruptcy process and highlight some of the key procedures. So I'm not going to try to rush it. We got time and I can follow on in the upcoming weeks. So let's begin with who are the key players in the bankruptcy process? Well, to start with, there are the debtor or the debtors, if if you're in a family or you're a business with with affiliates, you um, are debt towards multiple debtors. And those are the individuals or businesses that have the financial issue. They're in financial distress. And then you have the debtor's creditors, and they're generally more than just one. Um, and those are individuals and businesses that have claims against the estate of the debtor or the debtors. Then there's also the debtor's attorney, because I think a debtor needs an attorney, because the fourth player, that is to say, the creditors will have an attorney. And so the fourth key player is or are the creditors, attorneys, generally. Then there's the bankruptcy court. And that is a bankruptcy judge who is an Article I judge impaneled by the district court where the bankruptcy court is. And it is a appended, that is to say, the court is appended to the local district court. So there's a difference between an Article I judge and an Article Three judge. Article three judge is the third branch of our federal government. So that those individuals are selected by the president. They go through a hearing and they are confirmed by the Senate and then they have lifelong tenure. But Congress, which is Article one, also has the ability to appoint some specialized judges. And uh, the most prominent, in my opinion, are tax court judges, they're Article I judges, that is to say Congress sets up 
the process for them to perform a function, but they too have to be basically um, in, in some way brought on board. Um, so bankruptcy judges are likewise. They are selected by the district court and uh, impaneled and basically appended to the district the district court. Okay, so also part of the bankruptcy court high level are the judge's staff that help her, him or her, analyze the legal issues in the debtor's case. Another key player is the Office of the United States Trustee. That is a subunit of the Department of Justice, whose job, along with all the other officers of the court, is to police the bankruptcy process and maintain its integrity. Then there are trustees. In a liquidating case, there is a Chapter 7 trustee, in, and in reorganization cases such as Chapters 11 or uh, 12 or 13, there are trustees that manage that process. So a Chapter 13 trustee is a panel, um, a, a standing trustee that has a territory that he or she um, monitors the cases that come before her in the area. Just like a Chapter 12 trustee and Chapter 12 cases are for fisher persons and farmers. Again, the 12 and the 13 trustee, they have a territory uh, that might include multiple counties where their job is to monitor the process for individual farmers in a, ch- in a Chapter 12 situation or individuals with regular income in a Chapter 13 case. There are also Chapter 11 trustees, and but generally when a business files a bankruptcy under Chapter 11, they will act as the trustee and they become fiduciaries for their creditors and unless they do something untoward, they will generally maintain that role throughout the course of the case. Uh, however, if they do something untoward, the court has the ability to replace them uh, with uh, a, a separate fiduciary who will make sure that the work gets done. And there's also a new um, kind of ch- Chapter 11. It's called Subchapter V or ch- Subchapter 5 um, um, Chapter 11s, and there is a trustee that is an appended to the debtor in possession. And there could also be an examiner who's sometimes appointed by the court to ferret out the truth about a debtor's finances or management of her business where there's an appearance of impropriety or that some mischief is going on. And again, with the debtor in possession in a Chapter 11 case. So I'm going to take a few moments to examine each of these players one at a time. I'm going to start with the debtor or the debtors. Now, that's the person or persons or uh, married couple or some kind of partnership or, you know, a business, an entity uh, or entities that are seeking relief from his or her or its or their uh, debt obligations. And the orderly liquidation of his or her assets in the case of a Chapter 7 liquidation or seeking an opportunity to rehabilitate him or her or itself or themselves by obtaining a court-ordered restructuring uh, plan. That is to say, to deal with his or her or its or their debt portfolios using uh, a Chapter 13 or Chapter 12 for family farmers or fisher persons 
or for business reorganizations or small business reorganizations under Chapter 11. So uh, one of the most important things that happen when you file a case is you get the automatic stay, and that makes everybody stop prosecuting you or persecuting you while you put a plan in place to figure out what to do next. So when we come back, we'll continue our refresher course on bankruptcy, but first we're going to take a short break. back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Uh, Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of today's topic, and that is to say, what is bankruptcy, why it's important, and how does it work by focusing in on the key players. Uh, Before we left, uh, we had started our discussion about debtors in bankruptcy, And I had shared with you that one of the most important events that happens when you file for bankruptcy is that automatically, once a petition is filed, there is something called the automatic stay. And it stays just about all legal and most administrative actions against the debtor, including all pending lawsuits for and foreclosure so that the debtor or debtors can have a reasonable amount of time to attempt to resolve their financial situation while under the protection of the bankruptcy court. However, the ultimate goal of most debtors is to obtain a discharge of their obligations to pay their debt that caused the debtor's financial distress in the first instance. So who can be a debtor in bankruptcy? Now, the bankruptcy code, also known as Title 11 of the United States Code, which is part of what I call the big book of United States laws passed by Congress covering all aspects of our written regulation. It is Title 11 that implements Article 1, Section 8 of the United States Constitution dealing with the subject of bankruptcies, making them more or less uniform throughout all of the United States. And it sets for two general requirements that all debtors must meet, in addition to the chapter-specific requirements for each type or chapter of bankruptcy that's identified in the bankruptcy code. The first requirement is that the debtor must be a legal person, in quotation marks, or a municipality, as both of these are defined in the bankruptcy code. Now, under the bankruptcy code, a person includes individuals, those of us that suck air to survive, but also for artificial people or entities like partnerships and some corporations. For example, the limitation on some corporations is the fact that although most insurance companies take on corporate structure, All insurers are excluded from the type of corporation that can seek bankruptcy protection under federal courts. And you might ask, why can't insurance companies file for bankruptcy? The answer is because of an agreement entered into by the Senate, by the states and Congress after World War II, mandating that all matters concerning the business of insurance, including the solvency monitoring uh, aspect of the insurer's assets, and reserving requirements and financial uh, rehabilitation and the winding down of insurers were and remain 
the purview of and are to be dealt with solely by the elected and or appointed insurance commissioners of the several states. Now, the agreement that overrode the requirement of the Commerce Clause and the bankruptcy statute is known as the McLaren-Ferguson Act of 1945. Now, on the other hand, other types of business entities not specifically mentioned in the code, such as trusts and limited liability corporations or companies, also known as LLCs, may also be able to take advantage of the protection of the bankruptcy court as a form to deal with their debts as well. Also, the term person in bankruptcy parlance generally does not include governmental units. Instead, the type of governmental unit that can file for bankruptcy is a municipality, which means a political subdivision or political agency or instrumentality of a state, such as a city or a town or a county or a school district or a special taxation entity, such as a water or fire suppression district but does not include the state itself because under our federal system of government or of governance, a state such as California is a co-equal sovereign with the federal government. But a city such as Stockton or San Bernardino, who ha- actually have filed, may file, and those cities have in fact filed for bankruptcy and made it through the process. In order for a municipality to file, it must first obtain permission from its upstream sovereign, such as the state of California, either expressly by the passage of a specific bill approved by the legislature or signed off by the government or implicitly by following the rules that have already been enacted under some bankruptcy-related statute that has been signed off by the governor. The next set of players are the debtor's creditors. Now, there are entities, uh, that is to say, they are entities to whom the debtor owes money or some form of equity and who, as a result of the defaulting debt obligation, they just simply want to be paid. Now, there's a public policy-based hierarchy and a pecking order, as it were, in the bankruptcy code that dictates the priority in which an individual creditor or his or her class gets repaid. And now this is a proxy of how creditors get paid, if at all, in bankruptcy, because sometimes there's no money for anybody in bankruptcy. Now, in first position are the debtor's secured creditors, such as entities holding notes or deeds of trust or some form of a lien or a uniform commercial code filing, or a statutory lien by the Internal Revenue Service, or a levy by the Franchise Tax Board, such as a mortgage or a deed of trust, or the pink slip on the debtor's car, or the unpaid portion of some executory contract that's backed up by a security interest, such as a defaulted commercial lease. That's an example of an executory contract where both parties still have continuing obligations and then the debtor defaults. And so there might be a a, a backup uh, document that makes that obligation secured. And that would raise that creditor to the highest level in the pecking order. Now, unless there's some something special about these secured creditors that will allow the debtor to modify or strip 
or avoid some or all of the value of the applicable lien or security interest, these debts must be repaid in full even after the bankruptcy case is resolved because these liens or security interests survive or pass through the bankruptcy unless there's some kind of special thing going on. However, if these secured debts are delinquent at the time of the bankruptcy filing and the debtor wants to keep the property, the debtor may be able to catch up on her missed payments while under the protection of the court and thereby cure the default while in bankruptcy. So I'll speak English here. The debtor is going to lose his or her house to foreclosure because she is several months behind in the mortgage payments. She can file for bankruptcy and take that several months that she has missed and pay that over the course of the bankruptcy while keeping current with the the payments that are due post filing the bankruptcy petition. A lot of people use a chapter 13 to do that because it doesn't work in chapter seven. Okay. Another type of creditor can be a general unsecured creditor, such as a family friend or relative or credit card company from whom the debtor has borrowed money and the repayment obligation is manifest either either by a oral or written contract that was undertaken without the creation or filing of a lien or security interest. Now, depending on the type of bankruptcy case the debtor files, coupled with the debtor's overall financial situation and prospects at the time of filing, including her ability to fund her reasonable living expenses out of her post-filing monthly income, some or all of her unsecured debts by the end of the bankruptcy might be discharged because what happens is the debtor has a a monthly income, the debtor and his or her family has to live, and it might just be that after you account for the reasonable uh, living expenses of a debtor, there's nothing to go to the creditors as long as the debtor is doing her best effort. So what, what does best effort mean? So if you have $50 left over after you take care of your reasonable living expenses, you need to turn that over to the Chapter 13 trustee. But if there's no money left over, or say you're you're hiding, you're getting paid under the table and somebody finds out, that's not your best efforts. And so that will call the referee of the process uh, uh, to call foul, and you don't want to be put in that position. Now, there's a special class of unsecured creditor and who, for public policy reasons, take priority over the other creditors. That's taxes, money that you owe to take care of your children, uh, domestic support obligations, and the like. And so those particular debts spring up higher than the normal credit card debt or paying back grandpa uh, for the loan that he gave you to buy your automobile. And that's for public policy reasons. And it's, uh, to me, it's quite self-evident. If, if people don't pay their taxes, there's no money to fund government. If people don't uh, take care of their children or their former spouses, uh, those people have to go on welfare and the rest of us have to take on that responsibility. That's not really ours unless there's a special reason. So those are the public policy reasons for bringing uh, domestic support obligations and taxes to let them percolate up the process. So... 
because we're short on time, I think I'm going to break it there. And when we come back next time, we're going to continue our discussion of the different uh, key players in bankruptcy with the goal of us all understanding what's going on uh, such that maybe we might have to you know, rely on the bankruptcy court to assist us when we're in financial distress. But I also think it's just good for us to have a good knowledge of, about this key and important function of our government. So I'm going to leave it there for now. But as, as always in closing, I like to say here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws of the bankruptcy court and its positive effect on our economy, our families and our small business economy as well. So till next time, please take care and please stay safe. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.